appreciate that. So my name is Sheila. I'm a compulsive reader. And I'm grateful to be here and grateful that you're all here as well. Um, I've been in Overeaters Anonymous since 1988. I have 22 years of abstinence. So if you do the math, you'll see that I was slipping for about a dozen years before I got abstinent. And all that means is that I wasn't ready to feel the feelings. That's all it means. And um, we'll get back to that as we're getting to the conversation. And I just want to thank Tammy for asking me to come. I'm glad this worked out. Um, that's tricky when you're a secretary and somebody cancels. I always try and kind of put it out to people that if you're going to cancel, and probably people know this with long-term absence, right? If I'm going to cancel, especially if I'm going to cancel on somebody the day before, it's my, my sponsor always taught me it's the responsibility to replace myself. And um, I talk about that because it's really important for me to remember that the disease of compulsive overeating really doesn't have anything to do with overeating. It really doesn't. Even when I weighed 200 pounds, my top weight's 200 pounds, I weigh about 120. That's the least interesting thing that's happened to me in Overeaters Anonymous. But even when I was overweight and had a problem with sugar and flour and quantity eating, um, I didn't have a problem with sugar and flour and quantity eating. I thought I did. What I really had a problem with is with my heart. It's always been a heart issue. It's always been a heart issue. I don't love easily and I don't forgive easily. Those are problems, and it comes up like that, right? It's already come up about three times this morning. And the only reason, <laughs> for real, once since I've been in this room. And, it, and the only reason I haven't had to give my husband an amends yet is because he was still sleeping. <laughs> I'm serious. That's how quickly, that's how quickly it shuts down. And when it shuts down, I get disconnected from you, and depending how long that goes, that's when it, it's gonna show up in terms of walking back into the kitchen after I've just had lunch and opening the refrigerator again, just to see, just to see what we got in there. Just curious, right? That's how quickly it happens. But it started here. It, it really does, and I have to remember that about the disease for me. The disease is about being disconnected from you. And there's that whole new communication, I guess, in recovery. I don't work in recovery. But the, the opposite of uh, drinking isn't sobriety. They're saying the opposite is connection. Well, what is connection if you go underneath? It's about love, right? And when I've gotten disconnected from you, I've gotten disconnected from me, I've gotten disconnected from God. God's always there. I'm never anybody who says, well, you know, I mean, God goes away when this when I get into the food. No, God doesn't go away. I go away. But I, I don't want to do that anymore. And, and all I can do is catch it and be aware of it. And if it's one of those situations where I need to do a 10-step, like it talks about on page 84 in the big book, and go through those four steps so that I get to get connected with me, with you, and then it all settles in. Sometimes I need to do that, sometimes I don't, but I just need to be conscious of it, right? And just really remember that. And it was funny this morning in coming here because, um, you know, I move a little bit slower. I'm dealing with a couple of things. I'm dealing with an autoimmune thing and I'm dealing with a scoliosis thing, which came out of nowhere. I never had the, the autoimmune thing. I was lucky and I never had any problems. And then all of a sudden, wham, we're in uh, 
down with COVID, I'm sitting a lot, doing a lot of Zoom meetings. I'm in a few different programs, and we've got one couch that's questionable, and that's the one I was spending all my time on, and all of a sudden I have this issue with my back, right? And so I move a little bit slower. And for some reason this morning, very unusually for me, because this is not how I roll, I had to try on about three different things before I was going to figure out what I was going to wear to the Overeaters Anonymous meeting. <laughs> and again, that's just not how I roll at all. And, um, and it takes time. It, it just, it took time. So it took time away from my meditation, keeping in mind that I'm going to be showing up at an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. And you're going to love me no matter, I mean, I can show up in sackcloth and you're going to love me, right? And I know that. And I just kept switching around. And then finally, finally, and then it's this, and oh, the lipstick, and am I going to have to wear a mask, and, you know, all this stuff. And, and, and finally I realized, you know what, it's perfect. It worked out wonderfully. And I walk down, and I get in my car, and I'm driving, and I look down at my feet. And if you look at my feet, I got a brown sandal on my right foot and a black one on my left. <laughs> right? Like, that's how it goes when there's all, and that's the pathology, that's the disease, that whole thing that I have to present, the outside has to present in a certain way. Whenever I got, and I got, I was caught up in that for about a half an hour. Interestingly, the earlier I get up in the morning, the later I tend to run when I have a commitment instead of just flipping along because I wouldn't have had time for this nonsense. This whole thing about being conscious about the appearance. And it's it's just wild. And I know people, you know, I know there are people here with decades, decades and decades of, of uh, recovery. And, and I know they get this, that... It, anything you can see about me is not giving you any relevant information. It's just not. It's just not. And part of the part of the reason I, I ended up landing on these pair of uh, jeans is because these jeans have been in my closet for about 20 years, and I've never been able to wear them. Right? And for some reason, people gained weight during the pandemic. I lost, and um, and and it's safe. I have an RD that I see because of the health stuff, and I'm not losing muscle mass, and everything's all right. And I guess my you know my my maintenance weight is now you know 15 pounds lower than what it used to be. So. First of all, it's ironic that I would have held on to a pair of jeans that I couldn't wear for that long. And then I'm wearing them today, and all of a sudden, you know what? There's no prize. No prize in wearing a pair of There's no prize in this. As a matter of fact, it's a hassle, right? They're white. And, you know, you're going up a, you know, a railing. Nobody cleans the railings of a place, and most of you don't use the railings, right? So, you know, you're using the, and all of a sudden, my hand, well, don't touch your pants, don't touch your leg. Like, it's just, you know, again, just all the whack-a-mole stuff. Instead, and, and the truth is, if I do touch, who cares? Who's looking at my right thigh? Me, right? Looking down and probably still thinking it's too big. It just, it's all the craziness. And all that matters is what we talk about in here and what I get over and over again and the whole process of the 12 steps is to get me connected with my heart. That's the whole process. You know, um, when I sponsor people, I work with the... I, I always used to say I worked with slippers exclusively. I don't know if I'm going to keep that up. And I've been talking about that with my sponsor because... Um, 
People who've been chronically slipping, and I get this because that was me, tend to be, eventually the anger comes up, right? Because there's a part of me, let me just keep it, let me just own this in my 12 years. There was a part of me that felt somehow I had not been invited to the party, right? Because I was playing the game by the rules. My whole 12-step journey started in Michigan, so we were influenced by the Alcoholics Anonymous and Bob Smith from Ohio. Bob's theory was that you've got to go through the steps over and over and over again. So I always knew that was how it was going to go, and that's how it went, right? Again, I mentioned I'm in a few different programs, including the mother program. So I've been through those steps 50 or 60 times, right, and done that many four steps. Just did one a couple of months ago and needed every one of them. And so I was doing the steps through this process with a sponsor in Overeaters Anonymous, and it still wasn't coming together for me. So I got angrier and angrier, and I moved farther and farther to the back of the room, right? And I wasn't showing up early and talking with people or staying late after the meetings. I wasn't doing that kind of thing, but I didn't realize that that was an integral part of it, especially if you're struggling. But I just got angrier and angrier. And I ended up at the meeting we used to have at the Lions Club, and we used to pass around a list for sponsorship, and I got the name of a new sponsor because somebody moves or somebody loses their absence, something had happened, and I didn't have someone. And I got working with this woman, and I remember she really helped me in a very significant way because she taught me about my value by communicating what she knew to be her value because she was somebody who worked the steps with a very committed sponsor in this program, and she had really gotten recovery. I'm not anybody who fools around with that whole thing about am I recovered, am I a recovered compulsive overeater. I don't worry about that. It's always going to be a daily process anyway. But this woman was really solid, and one of the things she said to me, my call time was 8.15 in the morning, and she communicated to me that that was my time from 8.15 to 8.30, and she'd be available five days a week, and then she did what she called a floating call on weekends. But with somebody setting up the time that way, that let me know that I had value. And what was interesting, because I'm going to push the limits, because I'm angry, because I just kind of want to see if you really love me, because quite frankly I'm still working out mother stuff, which is what the eating was all about, right? I mean, I might have been holding a candy bar in my hand, but what I really wanted was a teeth. I mean, I just had felt so deprived, right? So it was always just this whole deprivation thing. So at any rate, so I'm working with this woman, so I'm going to push the boundaries, so all of a sudden I start calling at 8.20, thinking, okay, we'll push it on the other edge. She would still end the call at 8.30. One time, or two times, I would call at 8.25, and then I got a five-minute phone call, and all of a sudden I realized here was a person with a healthy boundary, which she had gotten through the process of working the steps, and she communicated to me that I had value. I had value, and there were limits. And that was something then that I carried into my relationship with people that I sponsored, because it was so helpful to me. Because once I saw that somebody wasn't going to treat me like a child, right, it was time for me to grow up. And my call time, there was a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in that simple, simple thing, I learned that I had value, and I wanted to start calling on time and taking full advantage of everything she had to offer. 
and we worked through the steps. And once we got through the steps, her process was to let the person go. Because then she would go sponsor someone else and she would say that, you know, you, you, you know what I'm going to say. You've been talking to me for two years, five days a week, right? 15 minutes a day, that's 300 minutes a month, right? 3,600 minutes a year, that's a lot of time. Two years, 7,200 minutes, she said, you've got me, you've got me, right? Go hear what someone else has to say. And that was also really healing for me, and that pissed me off in the beginning. I mean, it's like, it's like, great, I finally, you know, get in a relationship with somebody and you're out of there. And I could still make outreach calls and things to her, but it was only later I kind of got the value of that too, and she was absolutely right. You know, there's not, I mean, how are many people in this room? Right? There might be, what, 20, 25 people? There are 25 programs here. Hopefully, hopefully, we're all spending a lot of time here. It all comes from here, right? But there are, every one of us is working this differently. And everybody's doing it right. And it is really powerful to hear what other people have to say. But one of the things that became clear in that it took me those dozen years before I finally got abstinent, and then once I was about five years in, I went to my sponsor and I said, I'd like to be of service to people who are chronic slippers. Do you, are you fine with that? She said, absolutely. She said, I'm just telling you, you're going to be working with the hardest people. She said, and I know because I've been working with you. So, uh, it's, it's, it's not going to be an easy run, but take it, right? Hit the ground running. And so that's always what I've done. Now, it might be at this point just kind of dealing with some of the stuff I'm dealing with and on my way out. I've got, you know, three physical therapists I see on a weekly basis. Things are healing and coming together. I have to do a really, really, really committed limited diet to deal with EMS stuff. But this is, you know, I'm taking it from a doctor who had MS and was in a wheelchair, and now she's not, right? Now she's standing and doing TED Talks and stuff. So... I'm all in. That means I can eat six or seven or eight different proteins, and that's it, right? That's it. No big categories. I'm all in. So um, I, I got going with people, and I'm just not sure if I can, if I'm still up for kind of dealing with kind of the anger and the resistance and the pissosity that shows up with somebody who's not abstinent and feels like they can't get abstinent and again feels like they haven't been invited to the party. And let me tell you what, you're in the party. The party's happening, it's happening right now. The party is the book. Again, because the party is not weighing a certain amount, wearing a certain size, showing up at the high school reunion, you know, talk to the hand to the asshole who used to say the crappy stuff when you were in school. It's, it's just not, that is not the party. The party is actually Knowing that your value has nothing to do with what you weigh, right? We are all princes and princesses of the Most High, right? And um, size is nonsense. I mean, that's just nonsense. And then um, it is showing up at the reunion, but it's being sitting across from the guy that you still remember. That's my problem. I still remember what he said. I still remember how I felt. That's my disease but sitting across from him and instead asking to see pictures of his beautiful children and his wife, right? Being in the love, that's the prize. That's the only prize that matters. And, um, you know, I'm just really grateful that I got that. But in terms of this work that I've done with Chronic Slippers, so what I do is I sponsor exclusively from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I do it because I love that there's a lot of direction in that book. And, um, and, you know, people talk about that there's suggestions and stuff. And you can call them suggestions if you want. 
You can call them butterflies. You call them whatever you want. But the reality is, if you want what we have, and you are getting loving direction from a sponsor. And it's loving if somebody is saying, please do this and have this done tomorrow and, you know, have this read and have this, you know, written and, and so that we can talk about it. That's loving direction. That's loving direction. Loving direction is not, in my experience, is not having a sponsor who's not giving me direction, is not asking what I'm needing. And again, I promise I have zero, well, that might not be true. I was going to say I have zero opinion about this. Truth is I do have about a 10% opinion. I'm really surprised that there are people, and, and you don't have your hand raised to talk to me. Um, I used to be a teacher. Can, yes, what did you want to say? Um, uh, I'm, I'm surprised the number of people in Overeaters Anonymous who don't, whose sponsor doesn't want to know what they're eating. And um, again, none of it is my business. It's not my business. It's not my business what anybody weighs, any of those things. But I'm just always surprised about that. At any rate, it really helps me to know what my sponsees are eating. Because if you are here and you want to end up here, that's good, my balance is getting better. That's cool. Um, I, I got to know where you start, right? I do. And it's not enough for, for you to tell me, which, which means there's going to have to be, I'm going to say it, there's, there's going to have to be some component of whamming, weighing measurement. If you're here and you want to end up here, okay, so, okay, <laughs> um, I've got to know what you're eating. I, I can't have you say, well, I had a, because it would be fine, right? You, we're going to figure this out together, what works for you and what doesn't, though I can't sponsor anybody who still wants to eat sugar. That I just don't have the bandwidth for that. I just don't. I, I, I don't have that. But, um, but if you tell me, for instance, that you had a cheeseburger and a bag of Doritos for lunch, well, I don't know. Did you get those Doritos at 7-Eleven or Costco? So we got to know. You're not checking in with mom. You're not checking in with the therapist. You're not checking in with the drill sergeant. You're checking in with a loving sponsor who wants to help you get to the place where you realize that the, the food isn't the prize. And it's actually very good. Thank you so much. And it's not calming you down in the way that you think. It's not working. But you don't know that yet. I know it. He knows it. Six-monther knows it. Right? We, we, they know that it's not working, but you don't know that yet. And the only way that you're going to know that is if you get freed up enough where you can say out loud what, some, what you've eaten. And I've always told people, I've, I've, when I've sponsored them, and I've said, um... You, you eat whatever you want, right? You eat whatever you want. It will become clear. If you work the steps and you follow the direction of the big book, I'm just a channel. God's the direction here. God's doing the work. I'm just, I, you know, what do they say? A good sponsor holds the light while you do the digging, right? That's, that's the job. So, um, so we're going to figure this out with the eating. But if I really believe the A, B, and C that we read, and I do, right, on page 60 in, in uh, the book, A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. That's, our, that's the one. And C, that God couldn't would if he were soft. 
Because that B, that was the thing when I was slipping and going from sponsor to sponsor to sponsor to sponsor because I was convinced that if I was working with you and it wasn't working, it was because I needed to be working with you. And if I couldn't work with you, I'd ask you, but you were too busy. You were always going to say no, right? <laughs> and like, it, just, it was always about this elusive thing that it, somehow I had this idea that it was a person outside of me. Well, that's not what the big book says. Well, how am I going to know that unless I'm going through the big book with a sponsor, right? So if you're doing the work and you just keep at it, because again, I've been through the steps probably 10, 12 times before I got absent in Overeaters Anonymous. Now, I had not been up to my top weight. My top weight, I'd never been there since 1988. I weighed 200 pounds. But because I was working the steps over and over and over and over again, the weight slowly started coming off. Not solving the problem. Remember, weight's not my problem. My problem was right here. So. I just kept going, and if you keep going and you are honest about your food, that problem will eventually get solved. It just will. But if you have this idea that it's that there's an attachment to a particular person, or oh well, I you know I got this sponsor, but you know I I want someone who's going to work out of the 12 and 12, or out of the OA literature, out of the workbook, or you know ad infinitum, it just goes on and on. The reality is the sponsor you have is the perfect sponsor. And I know because I get a lot of these calls with people who have this idea that they, you know, they want me to sponsor them. First of all, anytime anybody calls me and they have to have me as a sponsor, <laughs> they automatically say no. That is just a you know. That is just such a recipe for disaster. Because it's just a matter of time before I'm going to disappoint you and I'm going to piss you off. Now, in any good sponsor relationship, right, if your sponsor isn't on your four-step, you guys don't have a deep enough relationship. Right? Because at some point, I mean, you've, you've got to come face-to-face with this stuff, right? Somebody's, all a sponsor is doing is holding up a mirror. And it couldn't, all, it couldn't show up in my life if it wasn't already present in my life. So anything I'm seeing out there, you're angry, you're this, you're that, it's because it's, right, it's already right here. That's why I try and keep the focus, right? We want to try and keep the focus on finding the, the good things. Looking for the stuff, look for the blessings in the person that frustrates you. I had a sponsor in the mother program. I complained about somebody in a meeting once. That sponsor made me sit next to that person for the next six months. I had to sit next to that person. And, and, you know, my sponsor was in the meeting. I'm in the meeting. That person's in the meeting, right? So it wasn't like I was going to dodge this, right? It wasn't like I could lie about this one. And at the end of the six months, of course, I adored that person. Adored him, right? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you one more story about this as I'm coming to, to the end here. Because this has to do with the heart and everything that happens here over and over if I will open myself and let myself get it. So again, I'm at a meeting with another uh, sponsor. I had, I've always had multiple sponsors. That was how I got directed and followed that direction. And um, there was a, a woman who used to show up at this meeting. She was always, she had flaming red hair like Lucille Ball. And she, it was probably a woman in her 60s and, and she would always introduce herself as Happy. You know, my name's Happy and I'm, you know, I'm not calling. And I just, you know, would listen to her, and I was in my first year, and I was like, oh, Christ, come on, so dumb. And I said it, right, to this guy. Actually, now that I think about it, this guy wasn't a sponsor. I heard that timer. I'm closing here. And um, 
And I stayed after a meeting, talking to this guy, and I said, you know, what's the deal with that woman who always introduces herself as happy? Is she a little, you know, poco loco? What's her story? Happy. Who's <laughs> happy? And he said, oh, you don't know her story. And I said, no. What's her story? And he said, uh, she fell asleep 25 years ago with a cigarette. She was drunk. And she got out of the house, but her six kids didn't. Oh, shit. Right? And she ended up in a psych hospital for a while, and she got sober and continued to stay sober and introduced herself as happy, probably to counter some monumental grief that she had never gotten past, right? And here I was, in my infant wisdom, in my first year, making judgments and assessments, right? That's the disease. That's the pathology. It's right here that I want to get to solve my greater problem. You transform within, it can't help but show up on the body. The body's not the prize, the heart is. So I'm Sheila, I'm a compulsive reader. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Okay, there we go. Oh dear. All right. Um, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole, most definitely. Uh, when asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. And, uh, yeah, all right. Please. Uh, what did you do that helped you stop being a chronic slipper? Ah, what did I do that helped me to stop being a chronic slipper? I just kept following direction from sponsors. I was out of good ideas, right? I fell in the arms of a sponsor standing behind me and let her drag me to the winning side over and over and over again. I just followed direction. It's really, it's pretty simple. It really is. And um, and there's a much longer answer to that. But call me for outreach and we'll, we'll chat about it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you again. Um, can you tell me about Who's your Who's Anne? Time? Thank you again. Oh, sorry. I thought you were calling me. Again, we're sorry. sorry. Uh, sorry. Reverting to uh, <laughs> third grade. <laughs> sorry. Can you tell me about your ninth step? Yeah, sure. That's funny that you asked that. I'm actually on the ninth step right now in, in another program. Um, kind of the most interesting amount. So I, I, was, I was molested when I was a kid by two different men on a number of occasions. So clearly those guys were at the top of the list. And let's just call, you know, kind of the more egregious one, let's just call him Lenny. And so I resented him. Uh, He'd done these things that affected me in this way. Where was I selfish, dishonest, and fearful in that fourth column? And then the big book says I made my eight-step list when I took my four-step, right? So all of a sudden that means Lenny's on my list. And I said to my sponsor, what, are you kidding me? You mean I owe this guy an amends? She said, of course not, right? It wasn't a fair fight. You were 10, he was 50. You don't owe him an amends. You're not responsible for that, but I was certainly responsible for the fact that I hadn't forgiven him for 15 years. For that, I was responsible, right? So um, what she had me do was to write a letter. And she said, don't worry, you're not going to send it to me. But just write a letter and tell him that you forgive him. And keep it very, very simple. There are four components to the letter. Dear Lenny, I forgive you for having molested me. Please forgive me for not having forgiven you. And then she said, write something nice, the third thing, write something nice about Lenny. Because we are all more than our worst moments. All of us, right? 
And then she said, sign off as high as you can go. And there's nothing higher than love. But if you can't get there, sign off. Best. Sincerely. Ta. Right? <laughs> Whatever you want. And then sign your name, right? And then she had me uh, fold up that letter and put it in a God box. So that was kind of like a, a, you know, kind of a big ticket item. But interestingly enough, I tend to have an easier time with the big things than the little things. You know, I can, I can drop a transmission on the 405 and 5 o'clock traffic and I'll get through it, but break a shoelace, somebody's going down. <laughs> so it's, it's the little things. So that's why I have to really pay attention to the little stuff. Like I said, the three things that have come up today, they're little. But it, it, those are the things, those are the pebble in my shoe that just turn into a boulder at the end of the night. If I haven't addressed it, maybe talked about it on an outreach call, made an amends if necessary, right? Um, but but just, just to get it out, just to remind myself, right? I haven't gotten this, but I'm getting it. It's just, I want to just kind of stay in that glorious flow all the time. And that ego always wants to take me out. So it's it's really kind of getting a handle on that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, having gone through the steps multiple times, have you seen that there are defects that have abated through time? And then are there ones that are really still stubborn? And what do you do about those? There's one that came back. That's a really good question. So what I always have people do with the, the defects, with step six, Right, is I always have people identify their defects and their assets. And that's because when you get to the seventh step prayer, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, the good and the bad. Well, how can I give over the good and the bad if I haven't identified the good? And it's always easier for people to come up with the defects than the assets, which is yet another defect. Right? <laughs> Not knowing your value in this whole obsession with, you know, what am I doing wrong, deconstructing and all that stuff. So what I always have people do is those defects and assets, and we have to balance this out. So if you came up with 53 defects, well, you know, game on for the assets. And if you have trouble, right, I might be able to help you with a few. I have people make outreach calls and say, hey, can you say something nice about me, which was really hard. I remember when a sponsor had me do that. It was like, oh, it was so hard and painful, right? But then once you get the list of the 53 and 53, then I say, now I want you to mold your five, your five uh, go-to defects and your five go-to assets. So I've always kind of run with, and it really hasn't changed for the most part in terms of controlling, judgmental, um, angry, fearful. And then the, the, the other one would kind of flow in and out. And for the first couple years, I've been with my husband for... Um, I guess about 25 years, you know, we were friends and then dated and then we had an engagement, long engagement, 10 years. I know. People would say, what are you afraid of? And I'd say, what do you got? (laughs) (laughs) And now we've been married, you know, 11 years. And um, at any rate, so jealousy was an issue in the beginning and then it was gone for a while and for some reason, it's back. It's back in the corral. I have no idea, you know, what that's about. But I just know that, that the simplicity of steps six and seven, on page 76 of the book, they get a whole two paragraphs, right? And, and the second paragraph is just the, the seventh step prayer. That the simplicity of it, I have, because it's so simply laid out in the book, 
there's a tendency for me to forget it, and I have to remember that when this comes up, I can ask to have it removed. I don't need to solve any problems. I need to, you know, be clear about what I'm doing on a daily basis with my sponsor and things, but I can ask to have things removed. So, yeah, there is a flow that goes on with the, the character defects, and, uh, yeah, there are some that, you know, that are really kind of holding on. I mean, it's, it's interesting to see. I'm doing some real deal. It's not 12 steps, so I don't want to talk about it, but, you know, talk to me after the meeting. I can turn you on to something if you deal with anger. There's something that's really cool, and it's scientifically based. My husband's an MIT guy, so I kind of dig science. And it's something that, you know, you literally change the, uh, the neural pathways in the brain in terms of dealing with, you know, for those of us who have real anger, you know, who had real reason to be angry. But um, it's just, it's, it's a hard road to be an angry person, you know, in the world. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Tara. All right. So your physical limitations and physical uh, yeah, some pain involved, mm. how does that affect your disposition and how do you work the program to affect that disposition? Stellar question. Stellar question. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it can vary widely, right? I can have, um, there is a lot of anger that's come up with God, right? So, um, you know, how did I get there? I mean, how did, how, why did this happen to me? This wasn't supposed to, what? What? You know? Um, and I've got great sponsors, and I do remember, you know, wailing and gnashing my teeth with one of my sponsors, kind of that, this was not supposed to happen to me, why me? And he very gently leaned in and said, why not you? And that was really, and, and we have a really trusting, you have to have a really trusting relationship with a sponsor to say that, right? I mean, that's a, that's a fireable comment, right, when you think about it. But because there was trust, right, I, I kind of helped, somebody kind of helped me in the same way that the experience I have with a, a fourth step, somebody, and a fifth step, somebody helped me understand that I'm, I'm a part of a tapestry, right? And um, what can happen to anybody can happen to me. And um, my responsibility is to, just like in program, is to do the work, hence the three PTs, right? And just doing what they ask and just accepting what is. And sometimes it's really hard. And when I want to cry, I let myself cry. I have maybe four people that I know I can call because most people want to fix. Most people, um, most people don't really know how to respond when someone shows up who looks different. Um, people get nervous and I can, I can understand that and I know how to be, I'm learning how and my, I have a sponsor who's blind she sponsored me for 18 years, and she wasn't born blind. She went blind in her 30s. Um, so I learned a lot from her. My other sponsor uh, had polio as a child, right? So she she can give me some some tips and things, and how to be kind and you know accepting with people as they are kind of floundering around. Because most people don't know how to do the very simple thing, which is just treat me the way you always treated me. Treat me the way you treat anybody, right? 
nothing different. You know, if you want to walk behind me because I'm going up steps because you're nervous, fine. Right? That's fine. You can do that. But it's, so it's about, it, it's all, start, just like we're talking about the hard stuff, it all starts with me. If you're responding or doing something in a different way, you're not the problem. The problem is mine, right? How do I feel? It's when I feel different, when I feel bad, when I feel sad, which is why I have to have those four people that I check in with that I can call and say, this is a bad day, and I need someone to just listen to me cry. And um, I let them do that, so I just let myself be supported. And other times it's glorious and wonderful. Right? And I think, oh, that's right. I need to give myself 90 seconds to get across the living room to the bathroom instead of the seven seconds it takes all of you. Okay. So take those 90. Right? Yeah. And that's a, I don't have my glasses uh, on. That's fine. Oh, okay. Thanks. That's a good question. Yep. Hi. Um, have you ever gone through a period in your program like where you have a, a profound feeling like you don't know shit? <laughs> Yeah, no, like for real, like right now. <laughs> when, when Terrell asked me that question, I was like, Ugh! it was so deep. And it was really deep because he was just meeting me as a person. Like it, when, once he started saying it, I was like, oh, wow, this is a real courageous question. Because people would be like, oh, you know, someone's different. Oh, she shows up different. Let me, let me pretend that's not happening. Oh, you know, and I, I was just flummoxed. And I thought, wait, listen, answer the question. So all the time. And I just let that. Oh, I can. Do you ever uh, ever feel like you show up and just don't know shit, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, absolutely, I do. And I'm just letting myself be okay with that. Like it's okay, right? Like I did with you know, I just kind of felt it and then just go. I mean, there is a loving presence that is holding and sustaining me. Yep. Thank you very much, Sheila. Mm. Um, when you know your heart or you feel, you know, is there a God voice inside that says you must do something telling you and you don't want to do it. Yeah. How do you handle that? I know. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, that is tough. And I just, um, there is a, I'm in the Writers Guild, and he'd ask the question when, when you, you get that, that sense that, you know, God wants you to do something. And um, we, we can go see movies at the Writers Guild for free. And my husband loves that, right? He loves that gig. And I don't want to go because there's a bunch of people that I know and a bunch of people I went to school with and who are going to show. And I just don't want to see a bunch of people with me walking in with canes. Mm -hmm. I just don't. And I'm embarrassed that I'm embarrassed. <laughs> and I'm sad that I feel shame. <coughs> right? And I'm sad that I'm keeping my husband from the movies, but I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there. So sometimes I just let it be okay. I just let it be okay, the frailty, the vulnerability. I just, yeah. Other Because I've, there are times when I force myself and it's just, I'm not sure that always works. And maybe it does. And maybe it would. But I'm not going to do it. Right? And yet, I went to Disney Hall, and, you know, I wasn't going to traverse that place, right? And so I used their uh, wheelchair service, right? Which was, I thought it was going to be devastating, 
And it was actually very manageable. It really was. You know? And people get nervous, and some people ignore you. And I had a program, and I'm like whacking the people like... Huh? And they're going to turn around and it's like, I'm in a wheelchair. Really? <laughs> right? So, I mean, you know, you just roll with it. So I just let it be okay. But this is a real thing. And we'll see. You know, who knows? I mean, I've got a scoliosis guy who says, I can get you away from this. And there's, that's MS doctor. So, you know, as long as you're willing to eat sardines and liver and grass-fed beef, right, for the rest of your life, you know, and a boatload of vegetables. So we'll see, you know, game on. This is, this is not my life. It is really the life of God. I'm just here to show up. But God, God's going to love me no matter what choice. God's in both choices. God's in the yes, I'll show up. No, I'm going to hide out. Right? So, yeah. So I'm going to be honest rather than lie. <laughs> yeah. What is your morning routine? So I'm not a great sleeper. I'm, I, I tend to be a late night person and an early morning person, which is a bad combination. And it just doesn't work for me anymore. I used to be able to kind of pull that off. But in that I deal with balance issues, I can't do those four and, you know, five-hour days when you've had four and five hours of sleep. So um, I, I, yeah. I, meditation ideally is a part of it. I had gotten away from a med regular meditation routine where I was meditating twice a day. I don't know why, but I'm just threading that back in. Prayer is unreservedly part of it. Sometimes I get on my knees. It's not hard for me to get on my knees. It just feels like, oh, it's a pain in the neck. I'm not going to do that. But um, I have specific prayers that I do, a couple of prayers, um, including an affirmative prayer. I'm a practitioner. And... Um, and then I always do, I do reading and writing on a daily basis for my sponsor. And I like to get it done before I eat anything because it's going to make my eating easier. So those are kind of the, the absolutes. And then I have uh, other spiritual practices and I get in and you know, do my reading and stuff for the day. Yeah, that's a good question. All right, so I think we're done.